0: Why would Michael Massey do this?
1: Oh, man. Oh,
0: and well. Joseph Newgarden won the Indy 500. Holy Black shit! Black men. Black men. Oh, what? <laughs> Welcome back to Motorsport 101. <laughs> Um, does anybody still have ears left after that one amongst the room? Um, King, why are you bleeding from the neck? Um, <laughs> welcome to episode 443 of Motorsport 101. <laughs> and uh, This is a special edition of the show. It is part one of our Day of Classics doubleheader, I guess you could say. Sadly, we weren't able to, to do a live show because amazingly, the three people in this room recording this episode right now Checks notes, are all professional journalists now. It's quite the vibe, but here we are. Um, so while my ears recover slowly, um, let us let's introduce, of course, you probably already can tell from the intro, he's back. The core free has returned um, for a special occasion. It's Ryan Eric King, Mr. Jalopnik writer himself. Hello, King. How's it going? Good to have you Hello. back.
1: Uh, <laughs> someone call an ambulance, but uh, not for me. <laughs> Um, I think we still have
0: to peel uh, a certain co-host off the ceiling um, <laughs>
2: for
1: the first time ever we have
2: slain no- the dragon <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, for the first time ever, with no irony, we can honestly say, hey, Joe, we did it.
0: <laughs> that, of course, is Cam Buckley. Hi, Cam. How's it going? I'm joking. It's it's, it's RJ O'Connell. Hello, RJ.
2: Happy birthday, Cam Buckley. <laughs> <I did it. laughs> finally. 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 I'll expand on this later, but... I feel so, so good about the winner of this race. What a moment! What a crowding achievement! Now let's think about the steps that got us to this point. This is something that you.
0: King, it's going to be a long hour. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's like when, it's like when you're babysitting a four year old and you accidentally gave him all the sherbet. It's 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 not going to end well. <laughs> oh boy! But uh, yes, we're going to get through the 107th running of the Indianapolis 500, and as you could probably tell by now, a certain someone from Tennessee may have won, um, which has led to another person uh, from Tennessee going slightly insane. And that's RJ O'Connell, because Joseph Newgarden won the Indy 500, or really, should that be the Indy 2.5? Yeah, it's kind of weird how we got to this point. Um, Shall we say the Indy 500 was decided on lap 200, literally, in very direct fashion, and not just because it had a last lap overtake in it. We'll get into that as well. We'll get into Pato Award, who may have just thrown away an even bigger chance of winning the Indy 500 compared to what he had last year, which is kind of saying something, given that he uh, very nearly won this race last year and probably should have won this year's. (laughs) Because uh, that is a lot uh, to break down. And of course, we'll get into some of the other minor stories involved as well, like Santino Ferrucci finishing third for AJ Foyt and uh, a, a collective sigh of relief on that final caution. We'll talk, we'll explain why in a minute uh, as well. Um, Tony Canaan's final 500, uh, how Alex Palou, who was looking very good about 50 or 60 laps in all of a sudden wasn't um, at the hands of Renus VK who can for some reason never quite get a clean 500 in somehow Scott Dixon with the vibration from hell and yeah goodness knows what else over the next hours or so on motorsport 101 places you can find this real quick you can follow us on twitter at dre underscore wtf1 at rj o'connell and we said hi um and maybe you can get him off the ceiling and of course you could follow ryan eric king on Jalopnik, of course and on twitter at ryan eric king and also remind me the username for your other
1: highlights channel king that you now uh first cool clips from oh of oh, course the diem but it's i only use it uh i'm gonna be 100 real with you guys i only use it as a burner account to shield my normal account from any copyright claims
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh no we gave away the secret we're giving away burner accounts isn't this like a current nba controversy at the moment
1: Hey, I'm it not is. in the NBA. I'm good.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Kevin Durant, is that you? Um, <laughs> maybe not, but uh, yep, you can follow us all there on our Twitter account. Um Of course, you can follow the podcast as well, at Motorsport underscore 101. We are still taking down our Kyle Kirkwood. Uh, wallpaper off the walls. It's very tragic. Um, but also you can follow us on the website, motorsport101.com. If you want some bonus thoughts from yours truly on the 500, there's a whole heap of them on there. Thanks to everybody who read that last night when I put it up. Um, surprisingly large response given it was two in the morning UK time. And also shout out to all the people that love Santino Ferrucci who gave me shit in my mentions. I appreciate all of you, especially you. You're great. Um, and if you really like us, you can back us find that Jenny on Patreon. Or Patreon.com forward slash motorsport 101. Five bucks gets you early access to all of our episodes. Ten gets you into the supporters club of our Discord server. We can listen to these episodes live as they're being recorded. Shout out to Jason and Vanessa who are in there right now listening in. Much appreciated. Hopefully, we can find Jason some new ears. Um, uh, we appreciate you, buddy. Um, hang in there. Yeah. <laughs> it could be a long one. But uh, without further ado, let's get into. The 107th, Indianapolis 500. It was Joseph Newgarden that took an erratic final lap, one lap shootout over Marcus Erickson. Yes, he was back up the front again to win the 107th running of the Indy 500, by just 0.097 seconds it was Penske's 19th count him 19th in the 500 victory and for Joseph it was the second longest anyone has ever had to wait before finally claiming a spot on the famous Warner Trophy, his 12th attempt. Uh, same as Tony Khan, who was also in his final 500, which I think is quite fitting. Um, only Sam Hanks is the only person who's ever taken longer than the 12 attempts that Joseph did to win before, before winning the 500. He was, he was 13 uh, for those keeping counts. So while we scrape RJ off the ceiling, King, what does this mean for Joseph's legacy?
1: <laughs> oh, man. It's... It's complicated. It's uh, I think of, of all the drivers post unification who made their debut post unification in two thousand eight. He's probably that put him up there. He's probably the best one.
0: He's right up there. I mean, of I mean, I've been. I think this is my seventh full, seven full season watching IndyCar, and. If you take out the guys that, again, like you said, were pre-split or were pre-unification, like Dixon, for example, yes, or Will, yes, or Will Power, yes, yes. yeah, 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 it probably is Joseph oh RJ, calm down. Okay, okay, talk. Get it out of your system. Talk about your man's.
2: <sighs> the demon has been slayed. Penske can win at the Indianapolis 500. The means of how we got there, a bit strange, but the ends. What what can what what else is there to say? We were come <sighs> from the perspective of a uh, for the perspective of a fan. Like I remember, <sighs> I came back into watching IndyCar a very tough time uh, in my life. It was Joseph Newgarden's second year. He had a tough, tough rookie season, but as he started to gain more experience, he started to get better and better results. When he started at Sarah Fisher Hartman Racing, which became CFH Racing in the merger with what is now Ed Carpenter Racing. I remember the first IndyCar race I went to, 2015, Barber Motorsports Park. Joseph Newgarden led the most laps on the day in a strategic battle between himself and Graham Ray Hall. It was Newgarden who got the first win, and I can remember telling my dad how awesome this was this he he'd never heard of this guy but i knew this guy's stock was rising and i decided because i know that guys like Juan pablo montoya were not going to be around forever i need to find somebody to to hang my hat on this because as much as i am a journalist i'm also a fan of motorsport and joseph newgarden's driving that day was spectacular and it only continued from there one of the ones that stick with me was the 2016 iowa race where coming off a broken collarbone at Texas Motor Speedway, he obliterated the field. He was doing everything. He was coming about as close to competing for titles as you could, for what was kind of a limited team. They said were capable of winning up races on their day, but never really championship contenders. Somehow, Joseph Newgarden got them up in the top five in the championships, and then you wonder what could this young man do in an elite organization. And then Roger Penske comes calling. He wins his third race on the trot. He wins the championship in his first year. And surely you think the Indianapolis 500 wins are going to come rolling in by the dozen. Except they don't. Team Penske struggles at the Indianapolis 500. And it looks like it was going to be another anonymous day at the 500. The qualifying speeds were not there. But the the race pace in practice, I was keeping an eye on that. And the Penskys? did seem to be very, very well. That made me think, okay, yes, Joseph Newgarden's going to be starting mid-pack, but if he can pick his way through the field, if his crew can give him the right pit stops, he's not out of it just yet. And that's exactly what happened early on. He gains ground. His team gives him all the right pit stops. By the quarter distance mark of the race, he's worked his way up into the top 10. And by about the halfway point, He's worked his way into the top five. And you think, depending on how this race shakes out, this young man is going to be a factor for the win in a race where up until this year, he only finished as high as third. My goodness, I it it does suck. And I'll I'll get into it more well, in our next segment, because the uh, the string of stoppages Really put a damper on what was building to be a very fascinating race of strategy, particularly after Romain Grosjean crashed, where you had Mm. some leaders staying out on the pit stop and some leaders coming in to top off the tank. Everybody was going to have to make one more pit stop either way, but that battle of strategy was going to be fascinating. It's a shame we didn't have that, but these were the hands that every driver was dealt, and Joseph Newgarden was in position to have a chance to prevail in this last lap shootout. And Marcus Erickson, first of all, tremendous Indy 500 champion over the past few years. Make no mistake, he's not a surprise. He's not sneaky. He's as subtle as a brick to the face. He is a very, very good I would almost say elite IndyCar driver at this stage. And he did everything that he could to win that race on a one-lap sprint. He got the perfect restart. He got it right going into one and two. But Joseph Newgarden got an even better run out of two, made the move down the backstretch, and then it was smooth sailing from there. And oh my goodness, Joseph Newgarden in his 12th try wins the Indianapolis 500 after 12 years of effort. Joseph Newgarden of Hendersonville, Tennessee. Hendersonville, Tennessee. That's what. <laughs> he jumps through the. He gets out of his car and then he spots a uh, a hole in the catch fence on the start finish ride. Photographers use this to uh, take pictures of the cars coming across the yard of bricks. What does Joseph Newgarden decide to do? To make this all the more iconic, he slinks on it and runs right in the crowd of over 300,000 spectators so he can feel the energy and feel the love, and every person on his crew comes with him. They climb the other side of the fence along with it. My goodness, that's special. His legacy is complete. It was already stellar with 26 wins going into this race two series championships as king mentioned of every driver who broke into the sport after the 2008 unification he has had one of the most star-studded careers in an alternate universe maybe he is america's next in formula one because let's not forget for, for a brief period of time he was racing in europe got as mm-hmm. high as the gp3 series but his career took him back to his home country in america indy lights champion Early season struggles, victories, championships, and now blessed with the opportunity that so many great drivers have tried, had tried for years and years and years. I think of guys like Michael Andretti and Sebastian Bourdais, two of the all-time greatest decorated champions who won every single race that the sport had except the Indianapolis 500. And Joseph Newgarden in his 12th try, he did it. He closed the deal on a, sensational win my goodness i was so happy about it oh. <laughs> oh, well, i can't believe it well what, what what gave it
0: away really i mean like, <laughs> any subtle indicators there king i mean anything you picked up on there on in all of that no
1: <laughs> no rj covered all the bases it's but I, i'd say going forward this like this is one of those i wouldn't say it's weird to say breakthrough wins but it's breakthrough in the sense that joseph newgarden at this point of his career is going from being the best of nearly everyone else to being in that era where he's it's going to be expected for him to get those wins and championships to start challenging the top of all the all-time you know best wins in terms of you know championships wins indy 500 wins it's got it it feels a little weird gonna be honest
0: it does it's it's like it's like opening pandora's box in the sense of like we i've, I've joked with rj on this show many many times over the years that it's it was getting to the point where new garden was becoming one of the great indy car drivers that never won this race in kind of like a reverse of Helio Cash and Neves being quite possibly the greatest Indy car driver to never win the national title, the Astor Cup, um, it was starting to look that way. And as we've alluded to, it was his twelfth attempt. Oh you know that that that's when you start asking serious questions, and especially when you combine it with Penske not being particularly great at the five hundred post pandemic. Um, you know they did win with Pagenaud in 2019, but that seems like a bit of an outlier. Um, beyond that, now since then they've they've largely struggled. They they were caught up in a bump day scare a couple of times, and and uh, you know the other Penske's in this race, Willpower were, were struggling with a broken weight jacker all race long, and then crashed out at the end. And McLaughlin was demoted to the back of the field after collecting, ironically, former Penske driver, Simon Pagino, Um, in what was a very silly bit of driving. But, uh, gosh, yeah, it, we we are now going to have to start evaluating Newgarden on an all-timer scale. Just, like, 27 career wins. I actually forgot he had as many as 27 when I was writing about it last night, that he's got as many as that. And half of them are on ovals, too. Like, I think this was his 13th win on an oval.
2: Which is road course trained driver?
0: Yeah, thirteen oval wins. I want to say mm, crazy. It's, it's it's having a fifty percent of your fifty percent of your wins being ovals is nuts. And yeah, he's up there with the very best oval races in the series and has been for quite some time. I'd, I'd put I put I put the bracket between him and probably Pato Award, and that's. Maybe it um, for the really stupid, good, consistent Oval Runners in recent years. I mean, for me personally, I remember making videos talking about how much of a superstar Joseph Newgon was when he did win that first title. You know, the first year he joined a Penske team that had Helio, Pagano, and Power in it, and, and a murderous row. Of talent. I mean, as of the time of this recording, you're talking six 500 wins, all of them having won an Indy 500 each at least, and then three Aster Cups of their own between them. As mentioned, Helio, probably the best to never win one. Um, you know, and I said back then that I, they, the series should go all in on him. You know, this is your dude. Like, not only was he a stupidly talented driver, but also never took himself too seriously. Handsome as all hell, a genuine beefcake, a stand-up guy for the most part, and a, a, an excellent ambassador for the series at, at large. And it it never quite materialized, and and like it never quite played out that way. Even when Alex Rossi came up to challenge him, when when he had those pair of really good seasons in Andretti, and Rossi was a genuine like three-tool, all-round threat to, to win everything. um, Not just the 500, to add the 500, he'd already won, um, given he won it as a rookie seven years ago now. God, that was seven years ago. That, that feels like it was yesterday. Um, But it's it's never quite worked out, and I think that stat chapter of the sport kind of moved on a little bit, because now we're flooded, full of younger talent. The revolution is here, and now New Garden gets his moment in the sun after winning two Aster Cups and being the consistent title threat, the staple piece of the, the, the sport's arguably best team, you know, and now he gets his moment, but I'm, I'm just glad he got it because Joseph is a, a, a phenomenal, very special racing driver. And yeah, he, he he deserved this one. He really did. And my God, did he have to earn it because that. But King, have you ever seen anybody final weave like that on the final stretch race, almost in pit road, defending Marcus Ericsson at the well, end?
1: <laughs> you, you had to do what you had to do. It was one lap yeah. for it all. And like, you know, I was in the one time only, I was in the unfortunate situation on iRacing of ha- being in a race in Indianapolis and AI race control saying, hey, we're going to have a restart on the on the last lap. I was able to defend my position. That's only because I didn't have Joseph Newgarden behind me. But pretty much, when you're when you're in a situation where you're going down either either the front or back straight, you have to do whatever you must to keep the guy behind you.
0: And it probably worked out for the best, given it was less than a tenth of a second over the line, one of the
1: closer 500 The fourth quickest, the,
2: the fourth closest finish in the history of the Indianapolis 500. Wow.
1: And I'll be real, the last quarter of that 500 felt like the last quarter of a basketball game. Like, yeah, it was 50 laps on paper, but it felt way longer yeah. than that.
2: Yeah, my goodness!
0: It it all like like I I think RJ hit the nail on the head earlier. Like Grosjean's caution at lap one forty nine, which is a very convenient number that it was it was one hundred and fifty laps in because we all know the gloves come off in the final quarter, and it actually. Beautifully poised that race for the last 50 laps where, as you mentioned, split strategies on fuel, the drama of how long could people like Takuma Sato and Palo Award, who were off sequence, could go. More on him later. Um, and And seeing how that played out we even thought for a split second that hey if there's enough caution maybe ryan hunter ray could steal one for drea reinebold um which would have been a hell of a fought with augustine Catapino in the uh jinkos car second and third at one point and yeah, shout out to like, canham great 12th like, place by the way
1: the way <laughs> i like to frame the last quarter that's that's like the last opportunity where everyone seemingly has a chance to win and as Mm. the laps ticks down as the laps ticks down you need to be further and further to the front to realistically have a chance
2: and and joseph newgarden brought it up in his post-race press conference like i am glad that indycar is having these extra aerodynamic options to alleviate to help people make moves but the the prevailing theory that was expressed all the way from the start of practice by drivers like dipson and Pado to joseph newgarden even in victory saying yes you are able to make moves and get up there at the front but if you're in a train of cars and you're three four five back it's tough to make moves still because these cars they race well but at a track, they are still uh very aero dependent and mm-hmm. that means turbulent wake and that means if you're stuck for the back of the queue uh especially early on all you can do is save fuel i mean my goodness the sort of the tandem uh the tandems that we had early in the race palo and vk hooking up mm. and swapping the lead with each other in a coordinated dance and then it became rosenquist and O'Ward. oh goodness what could have been
1: yeah because like when it comes to the early person of the race with the with the mclarens i i When we were watching the race together, I talked about the McLarens looming and it really felt like they were there all day. And, you know, we were talking about the tandem, but also I I like to call it tandem and tow because the two, the front two people tandem, third person pretty much gets towed along for literally all the benefit and no pain. And Rosenquest found himself in that third spot most of the day, and it felt like he was going to be in a serious position to contend for this win and then uh his day ended
0: uh, oh boy uh, should we talk about how that race finished
2: yeah well, now that we've gotten to the ends uh and god what a wonderful end what what a wonderful victory now that we've got to the end let's uh let's talk about the means This finish of this race was marred with controversy, with three red flags in the final 15 laps. First, Felix Rosenquist washes out, hits the wall at turn one, his car spins out, and Kyle Kirkwood has nowhere to go but to clip him. It flips him upside down and watches one of his tires over past a grandstand full of people, thankfully only striking an unoccupied car. His owner, by the way, was invited to kiss the bricks and give it a ride back as uh, uh to to pay it back. So yeah, that brought that out car, our first car. That car is totaled. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But thankfully, everyone walked away from that.
1: Yeah. The
2: second one we got on the restart with uh with eight laps to go was Pato Ward trying to make a move back on Marcus Erickson. That leads to a crash, and then we get our second red flag, and then as we were getting ready to restart with four laps to go, we thinking, this is going to be what settles it. We have a pileup at the back of the field before we even get to the start-finish line where Benjamin Peterson and Ed Carpenter's cars get junked, Grant Brayhall's car gets junked, Marco Andretti's involved in it. And then they throw the red flag, and we have, for the first time since 1997, a one-lap shootout to decide the Indianapolis 500. And this is in the rule book. This is within mm-hmm. race director Kyle Novak's right to where they could go one to green immediately after pit leaving pit lane. So they had one formation lap, and then one race lap to decide it. Many were quick to make the comparisons to Formula One's infamous 2021 finale at Yas Marina Circuit in Abu Dhabi, and runner-up Marcus erickson got out of his car and was upset at the finish, saying. I just thought it was unfair and a dangerous end to the race. I don't think there was enough laps to do what we did. I think I know what our answer is going to be this one, but I want to propose the question anyway. Was this finish the right call from IndyCar?
1: Uh, uh. <laughs> it was legal, but it was legal in the same way that Abu Dhabi 21 was legal. In terms of like, yes, it was legal, but they probably shouldn't have done it. And it was not the how they normally operate.
0: Yeah, like the the uh, yes, technically speaking, and I and I know a lot of IndyCar fans are very quick to make this point that yes, this is officially an IndyCar's rulebook. At race director's discretion, they can go straight out of the pit lane with a one to green warning. They can do that. It is in the rulebook, and no rule was broken for us to get to this point, Michael. Um, However. To borrow Jeff Goldblum from Jurassic Park 2, it's it's not a matter of whether you can do it. It's a matter of whether you should do it, in my opinion. And, and
1: I, I, I should just point out just quickly. Hmm. So IndyCar does publicly, uh, they do publish their rule book online. It is, yeah. It is combined sporting technical regulation. All in all, the entire rule book's is only 101 pages. Good number. Uh, <laughs> and it is pretty much across most of the rule book is dot 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 at the race director's discretion.
0: Which we all know could can, can 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 lead to various events. Um look it's in the book, so I can't really complain too much about this. However, I will try, because <laughs> Anyone who is a regular IndyCar viewer knows that is not how IndyCar normally restarts a race. It is normally out of the pit lane, you take a lap, as a warm-up lap, then you get the one to green, and then you go. It, It takes two laps to restart a race, normally. And look, IndyCar, throwing a red flag late on to try and guarantee a green flag finish is nothing new. I've seen it many, many times over the years. This is what this is how IndyCar tends to officiate their races. Um,
2: I, I have hey, a. Hey, I, hey, I, I, sorry first. On. Sorry first. Um, I mentioned the nineteen ninety seven finished. Uh, that one was handled so poorly that it led to the United States Automobile Club being permanently removed from sanctioning this series in favor of in-house officiating. so it could have been worse oh good
0: Um, (laughs) good good to know Um, for me given how we know how we know generally speaking how Indy 500's finish I am not a fan of a one lap shootout especially when you've taken the lap away to warm up your tyres that was asking for trouble and thank goodness Everybody got to the line clean on that final lap, despite Santino Ferrucci's best efforts.
2: Um, yeah, not crazy. crazy enough. The the one one of these restarts that carried the most risk came away with the least punishing consequences. Amazingly, and
0: I don't like the fact that they threw caution to the wind, literally in this case, and decided. To have a one lap restart on a two hundred and twenty five mile an hour oval with a lack of with, you know, with with cold tires when you know drivers are going to go, you know, to the limit and beyond to try and win because of course they are they're racing drivers no shit. Um, I I have one sincere question, gentlemen, and feel free to answer this however you choose. Why is ending a race under Yellow the new Boogeyman?
1: I think because... Like, it's, yeah. it's been a thing the last couple Indianapolis 500s where they've did everything they can to ensure a finish. Part of me wants to believe that it's due to what happened at the during the early 2010s when Indy had... Uh, a lot of rain short races uh, uh, like one or two races that did end under yellow and they just they don't want to be in a situation where they don't have a quote-unquote exciting finish for the fans
2: and that's that's something also it's especially prevalent in american motorsport too like i mentioned this in an earlier episode like the reason why uh nascar has what we now call overtime is because of so many so we were, the fans felt robbed of so many competitive finishes um and also so many opportunities for Dale Jr to win races uh at the height of the sport's mainstream popularity so they decided you know what we're going to take this role that we have at a truck series and we're going to do one attempt to send the race to guarantee a competitive finish. And then that evolved into multiple attempts and then evolved to, we're going to try this as long as we can until we get a competitive finishes, either the white or either the checker or the yellow ends it. Yeah.
1: Oh, I just. And, and okay. it, it wasn't just the finish for me. There were a lot of other moments where, Race control had a very light hand to avoid influencing the finish. Like when uh, Ferrucci's crew had a tire briefly leave the pit box and the team was only fined. Or during one of the restarts, I forget which driver it was. Uh, you know, we had a three wide before the line and someone overtook another driver on the inside, which is illegal in the rule book, but was only given a warning.
0: I wanna say it was Renus VK.
1: Yeah, I think it might have been VK. I'd have to watch it back to I could
2: check back the bot score on that. But and you know, hey, it's come to Formula One. Like this is this is a symptom of like a bigger thing going on where uh race directors feel compelled to like have the entertainment factors steer the direction and how these races are conducted. But it's strange because IndyCar was fine with letting. The Texas race, under caution, we were generally fine with that.
0: Maybe because the race was so good beforehand, we were probably just overly satisfied by the time it was actually over, even if we yeah, didn't get a crescendo finish.
1: I think it was because it was Indianapolis.
0: <laughs> yeah, this, it, it, the stakes are so much bigger. We all know how the series gets down. I mean, I'd mentioned this during australia in f1 where we had that was the first f1 race ever for those of you who maybe missed that episode or maybe just missed the race in general that was the first f1 race ever to have three red flags in it <laughs> um and it was also just the 11th race to ever finish in f1 under yellow um which uh, we've had
2: over a thousand of them
0: yeah, and we and we've had over five hundred and fifty since the safety car was first brought in. I want to say in nineteen ninety three. Um, um. So since the safety cars inclusion, we've had eleven grand prix finish under yellow, which I've always, this has always led me to the point of chasing the entertainment bag. Like it, like it's like you're solving a problem that doesn't really exist. Like it's like, oh like f one we've gotta have these green flag finishes. Well no, we don't they, they like a f1 race finishing under yellow is literally one in fifty odds. It's just been incredibly freakish that we've had two in the last year or so. Mm. um it's it's crazy and look. I don't want to get into IndyCar fan base jabbing too hard here because I've done that a few times on this podcast, yeah. and it gets yeah, it gets, 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 yeah,
2: gets grading. Like there are some does. culture wars that are worth fighting, but the F one versus IndyCar culture war is just something that I'm already over. It's
0: it's exhausting, but I I have to make this point. If you're gonna copy Formula One's homework, this is not the page you want to take to tear out of their book. (laughs) Like, trust me on this. Like, Like, I I
1: think, (laughs) like, I, I hate to use another, you know, NASCAR Brian France term, but like, it feels like, in general, at large, because. There've been a lot of st- st- statistics about it, about like why, say, the rising popularity of the NBA and that people aren't watching games; they're mainly watching clips on YouTube and this obsession with having "quote unquote" game seven moments, and it it makes it 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 puts the impression in people's heads that oh, we could have a fantastic race. But if it ends under yellow, it negates everything because we don't have that clip to put up on social media. It might not be a direct A to B, but that line of thinking gets you there.
2: Yeah. Look at look back at like, if you go back and look at uh, Indy 500 finishes under yellow 2020, what was the headline? Indy 500 finishes under yellow flag. Twitter isn't happy. Look at the headline from 2012 when Takuma Sato spun himself out and Dara Franchiti one under yellow saying Dario Franchitti's win is tainted. I'd imagine they didn't say the same for Tony Kanaan, who bless him, did win the race under yellow and what a, what a moment that was. But Mm. yeah, for, for, for all the finger wagging that we're doing, like the general populace wants to see a, uh, a competitive finish to these races and we're just like, okay, <laughs> I, I I think we've opened Pandora's box a little too much.
1: <laughs> yeah, because like I I understand if you know the, the frustration that would have happened, because normally like you know, the, the Sato Dario finish, that was albeit they didn't make it to the line, that was an exciting finish. But mm-hmm. I think the idea of the race ending due to a restart crash was too much to swallow
0: that's fair uh gosh it's just my my general vibe on this is that 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 finish felt too much I, i felt like in an already very dangerous race i think you're drifting over that line of of acceptable towards unacceptable risk mm-hmm. by having a one lap finish on cold tires to an incredibly dangerous race on paper, as is that already had three red flags already. Um, and yeah, like I said, I think, I think, in, I think in North America, I think we're a little bit more conditioned to the green, white checker style finish, and maybe that's which why. is strange
2: because IndyCar technically doesn't even have that in the books. Please do not get any ideas. No, no and it, but you
1: know what happened yesterday fell in that gray area where it makes people want to include one because it would have allowed the laps to be prepared. But I'm in the mindset of if IndyCar going to keep doing this, you have to have a hard cutoff point where a red flag will end the race, like just just straight up. That I would say there needs to be enough laps for the drivers to be, you know. The drivers to make sure their cars are ready to go and personally i'd like to see there be at least two guaranteed green flag laps just i agree you know just so the leader at the restart has the chance to respond
0: yeah a chance of the hug let's be honest here as much as new garden won this race and he absolutely deserved it Marcus Ericsson was was a lamb to slaughter as a result of that one lap restart and the fact that yes because of the previous red flag we'd had by a nose Ericsson was was given the lead in in a red flag that we thought was going to end the race because we we we, we did yeah. the maths and we realized with two to go we thought well this is over right they're just, just going like, to You need two laps to restart a race. They're just going to lead Marcus out for a procession, and he'll get his photograph and win, right? And then yeah. we found out about that rule. Which let's again, let's not let's let's remind everybody here: IndyCar does not use this rule very often, if at all, ever. <clears throat> yeah,
2: yeah, that's uh, that's part of the uh, part of the messiness of that 1997 finish because. Nobody was prepared for Usac to decide to throw the green flag heading to the uh, to the white flag on the final lap of the race. Uh, you could hear it in the voice of uh, Ari Dyke Jr.'s dad when he's radioing <laughs> to his team, "What the fuck is going on?" Yeah. As he streaks to a second Indianapolis five hundred victory.
1: Yeah, because like at least ninety seven had like the like the the unawareness that like okay we're going but no what it wasn't what we saw yesterday where we saw we got real lucky cuz we saw some di- like really aggressive defending from both Ericsson <laughs> and Newgard on that last lap where Ericsson you know pretty much takes Newgarden i think both of them end up in the paved asphalt i mean the paved runoff in the exit of 2 and then In the exit of four, they fully go down the pit entry.
2: Yeah, and they, you know, they let it stand last year because that's what Erickson had to do to keep Paddle Award behind him and slam the door shut on him. That's what Newgarden did to keep Erickson at bay after he made the pass. And Newgarden said as much. He knew that race control was not going to penalize that.
1: And I, I think that's core of the problem. Like I, you talked yeah. about uh, the, the illegal pass and the restart, the loose equipment. If, if race control are just literally not going to enforce the rules that are in the rule book, then what's the point?
0: Yeah, it's and it's like, honestly, Shout out to this man who I don't know how he got through this broadcast with all his hair still in his head, but James Hinchcliffe was the only broadcaster besides Diffie that called the Brilliant 500 because he had to put up with Townsend Bell's nonsense regarding this all broadcast long. And I think James was going to explode by the time the Ferrucci Tire incident had come loose, where it blatantly goes beyond the line, and Townsend's like, I don't know about it. It
1: blatantly does! <laughs> <There's> <laughs> like a for- reveal when they cut to the replay. <laughs>
2: like, dude, as much, as much shit as you and birthday boy Buckley were given James Hinchcliffe after Mid-Ohio and Texas, that, this is nothing compared to, like, this is like... <laughs> Blatant, blatant. Townsend, Townsend, my dude. What? I know, I know you represent this. I know you're his agent, but but this is like a serious conflict of interest. This is worse than than stumping for his buddy.
0: Yeah, like oh, I did not know that Townsend his agent. That's news to me, but that, that explains oh, a lot. The
1: Bell literally has a financial stake in the marketability of of Santino Ferrucci. Wow,
0: well, that uh, more on that very soon because <laughs> uh, it, it's in my notes, but uh yeah, uh I I gen, my general to to put a neat bow on this bad optics for a series that is determined to get away from F1, but was absolutely influenced by recent F1 to do what it did to get that finish. And I do not like how flexible, race direction are with IndyCar's cars rule book i'm not a fan of it <laughs> um and it, it will lead to precedents being being taken away lines getting blurry and then as a fan it's hard to decide what's a penalty and what isn't because hey i've not mentioned that in any other series i've covered lately no <laughs> oh,
1: man. but yeah it's it's like yeah i said it before like i said on twitter it was it was an extremely thrilling finish but i don't want to see it again yeah and it and you know joseph Newgarden drove a tremendous race and unlike other people on on twitter about a certain other incident i don't want to see him see him yeah for all you want
2: to be aisha curry's out there and i know that there are worse people that to aspire to but he wanted about as fair and square as you can offer and sure, yes, I know. I know. Even jokingly, people like to point to the fact. Oh, Roger Penske now owns the Speedway. Surely, he's going to tilt the table in favor of his driver to win this race. And how do you explain the last three years?
1: Also, like, just <laughs> like, how is he just like just going over to race control, just banging on the door, like, hey, Kyle, can you throw me a red real quick? Like, how does that work?
2: Oh God, help us! Right? Like, yeah, yeah. You may be sick of Penske winning, but come on, you're li- you're probably litigating in the favor of a- of a gymnastic driver. You're you're litigating for Pepsi to go kick Coke's ass.
1: But the th- huh? so just one random note. The weird thing is, like you know, on my live tweeting channel, the people who are most aggrieved by the finish are mainly Paddle Award fans, which is like weird. <laughs> Uh, isn't that a beautiful segue? It's
0: a beautiful. It's it's a beautiful segue. One of the one of those earlier reg flags that RJ mentioned earlier was championship contender. Second, I think he was second going into this race. Pato Award, driving into the back of Marcus Ericsson with seven laps left, ending his race as he clattered into the wall. Afterwards. Um, when he was being interviewed, uh, when, once he got out of the medical center. Luckily, both... Uh, both Ericsson made a tremendous save to keep it out of the wall, by the way. And uh, Pano was fine, uh, thankfully. Accused yeah. Marcus of closing the door on him and said in future he needs to be, quote, more aggressive going forward. Is Panama Award's attitude becoming an issue?
1: <laughs> and and just, just to make a quick correction, he didn't go into the back of Award. They were going in the three. He went to the inside, like classic andretti line where you're really below the painted white line and oh, yeah. they made contact
2: yeah i think it was ericsson that got past him going over the start finish line of the restart and pato's determined to get back past him uh into three but he takes way too shallow a line Erickson can hang on to it into three but a award just can and it triggers this really strange chain reaction of events where he crashes and then augustine canapino's damaged car rolls and box right into him because he had spun and crashed on his own and as the field checks up to avoid canapino simon pagino gets dumped by scott mclaughlin and pagino gets into the wall it's a strange thing
0: yeah very very weird incident and <sighs> It's weird talking about Padova Award in in in, in, a, in a strange way because the way the man has evolved as a driver has been fascinating, especially in the last twelve months where he's gone from uber likable, plucky McLaren guy who was you know punching above his weight in in a, in a McLaren side that wasn't all that great, very inconsistent, to McLaren now being arguably the second best team in the series right now. Um, uh, and they're amassing a fucking fleet. Um, like, and I, and I, and when I say fleet, I mean this is going to be the Death Star potentially next year. Um, like, there's it's the worst kept secret in the series that Alex Pillow is joining them next year. They still might keep Felix Rosenquist depending on results. They've got options like Zach is openly flirting with four cars going forward. And now it was announced today that they are moving into Andretti's old building. So they're going to have a new 59,000 square foot facility in 2025.
1: Um, Just Just,
2: weren't they building, like weren't they building their own facility or was I confusing that with somebody else?
1: Uh, You were confusing that with someone else because the team at the back, Ray Hall, Letterman Lanigan, opened a new facility this year.
0: Uh-huh. Ah, that makes sense. So
1: yeah, like I'm
0: sure Andretti's building something for their F1 team in Indianapolis, but uh, you know, like, like, like I, I just assume that any new building is just more unaffordable housing these days. That's just the nature of being from London. Um, it's uh, well, I, I, I digress. Um, like, Pado has become. Plucky underdog who can win the odd race to genuine title contender and now possibly the most popular driver in the whole series. Yeah, it is incredible how fast Pato has gathered these fans, especially from Mexico, especially from from fans around the border. You know, a lot of you know people from of Mexican heritage and um you know also all much and all of that. So yeah, there's a lot going on there. Um, and how he's been able to gain an audience very, very quickly.
2: He's the he's uh, the Eddie Guerrero of uh he is prime he is oh the yeah. closest thing we have to prime Eddie Guerrero. And Pato races with a chip on his shoulder. And a that's become a lot more prevalent. If you know the kind of shit that he's had to that was thrown his way before he got to this point, because let's not forget he was before he was the piece of the mclaren indie team he was the he was kind of led along a string at the red bull junior team and then before that he was trying to pick up the pieces after a deal to race with harding racing now with andretti steinbrenner racing i guess but that whole deal fell through just after he'd won the indy lights title and before then He was struggling just to get the budget to get rides, even though he was one of the most talented dudes around. And last year we were we were talking about the finish between him and Erickson. Pato said after the race that he didn't have the horsepower to make the move and make it stick. I think the consensus was from all of us was that he just made a business decision. And Pato said this year he's not, he's gonna he's gonna change his approach. And he overcorrected because. With time to spare, with fresher tires, with less fuel, with more fuel in the tank, and this despite the fact that they were having trouble refilling the car on all their pit stops, Mm -hmm. Pato overcorrected. He made a business decision in the opposite direction. And now the business has fallen apart. And my goodness, McLaren had a... Gourmet Meal presented to them and they just dropped it on the floor between this, between Rosenquist crashing Alexander Rossi finishing fifth. That was fine, but you know, they could have conceivably won this race one, two, three. Yeah.
0: McLaren had a McLaren again had uh, oh. McLaren had an incredible set of drivers going into like Tony Kanaan was your floor here. Like I, I, we make no bones about it. Me and RJ both picked Paddle Award to win this race back in March. Um, <laughs> on the day, I'm not going to lie. I, 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 yeah. On, on, on the day I had a gut feeling about Felix Rosenquest because Felix had been so consistently fast, like all week long. All two weeks long, I should say. Really, like you know, and I, I, and Felix was right in contention all the way until he checked up and crashed. Pado, I completely agree with RJ. He's gone too far the other way. Like he, he's gone from too conservative to. I suspect the chip on his shoulder got even bigger after what happened at Long Beach. Oh yeah, what happened at Long Beach where he sent it um, on Scott Dixon. Like, I still maintain, I still think Pado has to shoulder the majority of the blame. I think he used he went way over the curb to make that move stick. Dixon Dixon's already committed to the corner. He's already at the apex by the time they make contact. Like Pado knew exactly what he was doing. And like, if anyone's seen 100 Days to Indy, where they talk about that incident, uh, Dixon was pissed um, when, when he bumped into Paddo again after that one. Um, and Paddo didn't back down. Paddo refused to apologize for that. He's He said it was just good hard racing, essentially. And he said, I'm going to be... And he born. knows
2: as well, going back to the point about, you know, race control being more hands-off, you know, that's also a symptom of race control being hands-off. And, and I don't want... These drivers race with kid gloves on, but this this is also part of it. This this was too much.
0: Like I I still maintain Pado should have been pe- should have been penalized for Dixon's incident. He wasn't. And he wasn't when he went over the curb again a few laps later and almost caused an enormous wreck as a result. And he did it again here. Like he had the best tires of any contender in the field, and he had seven laps to pick his spot. I don't know why you go for what for me was a borderline do or die pass attempt of seven to go, um, in a hole that I think was always going to close. Personally, um, if if Pato wants to win the Aster Cup, which I'm sure he does, especially oh, yeah. given it was directly tied to his F1 aspirations, because that's that's the uh. Pied Piper lie that Zach Brown whispered to him a couple of years ago He's, he's getting the hang of this from a consistency standpoint but he'd probably have a very healthy points lead right now and maybe an Indy 500 winners ring to his name right now if it wasn't for the Long Beach incident in this like
2: Besides that, his season's been incredible. <laughs> he has three runner-up finishes. His, his second best finish after that is fourth. So if you take out Long Beach, you take out this Indianapolis 500, you know, the other four races, he's never finished worse than fourth. And somehow, despite all of that, he is third in the championship. Can you imagine? I imagine he is so lo- he is so grateful that this is not a double points race anymore.
1: Yeah. And like we, we talk about, needing consistency to win championships like just looking back at like scott dixon's record where since 2020 scott dixon only has two dnfs and we saw like you you know the two dnfs at long beach and gateway in 2021
0: neither were his fault they were unforced errors um, sorry, I was trying to say, was that really forced there? I guess it's a really way of saying it. i got a bit Tennessee, i got a bit Tennessee there for a second, but you get the gist. Dixon, Dixon always finishes, always yeah. like, and here, Dixon had a horrible 500, <laughs> like, had vibrations that were shaking the onboard camera like a motherfucker during it that. It was shaking day. his
2: rear wing, it was shaking his rear wing. You could see it visibly on the slow mo cameras. I'm thinking, how has he not wrecked this car yet?
0: And RJ, where did he finish?
1: Give me a second. Sixth place. There it is. <laughs> Scott
0: Dixon, everybody. Yeah,
1: <laughs> the tax is Dixon.
0: Paddo, <laughs> to stick, stick a page in that, uh, that book, in my opinion. Go on, kick.
1: I'd say that, like, Paddo is pretty emblematic for McLaren, well, Arrow McLaren as an entire organization, where, like, Yes, they've have they have had an uptick in form since you know the acquisition, and uh, you know driver lineup and everything shown for it, but they still have actually get to match Smith Peterson's best season back in 2013 when Pasno finished third in the championship.
0: Oh wow! Yeah, they're they're looking real good for that
1: at least. I mean. Which, it's like, I, I don't understand, like, I, I understand the hype, and why everyone thinks they're gonna join that, you know, big three team, but they they don't have any of the accomplishments to actually put them there. They have not climbed either two, either two of IndyCar's twin peaks.
0: Yeah. They are still, technically speaking, a team in the making, and, like, I still have question marks about is this driver lineup good enough? Like I still, I, I mean, okay. There is heavy rumors doing the rounds. Okay, I mean, It came from Jennifer Fryer before this 500 race that they are apparently considering a big old check to bring in Marcus Ericsson next year.
2: If they Marcus- checks. <laughs> if,
0: if, if, if they get Marcus Ericsson in a four car team, Good God. <laughs> that, 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 that's, that's a Death Star. That's a, that's, a, that's a Death lineup. That's the monsters out of Space Jam. I mean, come on.
1: Like, like, but, it, but they need to win something first. Yeah, it's like they'll they'll forever be that looming threat in the background that just never shows up when it matters. Yeah. Because like, they spent the first half of that race literally just sitting there, you know, one, two, three, either from first back or second back or third back. And they were just there the entire race. But once we reached midway, it just all fell apart.
0: Yeah, just, just didn't happen. And, well, they ended up, their best car was, well, Alex Rossi in fifth Alex in the Rossi
2: end? in fifth place. Again, that's a solid result, but nobody says one of this. But, but Rossi was brought in to win the race. Yeah, <laughs> And that's a bad consolation price. I do feel bad for Tony Kanan because he could never get the balance right in his car the whole time.
0: Yeah, I mean we you can get you can get into the other cool little short stories, the twenty-two short stories about the five hundreds in Simpsons-esque fashion now, because this was Tony Canon's 389th and final start in North American Open Wheeled Racing, if you if you add his IndyCar car and champ car appearances together. Three hundred and eighty-nine. That's uh it's it's an it's a remarkable career and it wouldn't be TK if he didn't leave us with one last ridiculous highlights <laughs> to close the book on a legendary career king. What the hell was that pass on Scott McLaughlin?
1: <laughs> I like, you know, all all these new kids being defensive all the way up to the runoff and the grass. TK was like, fine, I'll just run on the grass then. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Tony Canon. Put four wheels on the grass at two hundred and twenty miles an hour, and did not lift, and completed the pass on Scott. Mc- what the hell have I just said as a sentence? Mm. He's mental, that man. He's forty-nine on New Year's Eve. What is he doing? <laughs> T- Tony, play golf, please, for, for your own sake.
1: He's retire and do triathlons.
2: I like his first I like the first thing that he said In the post-race press conference Props to Doug Bowles The grass was spot on Whoever cuts that is pretty good (laughs) But there was like One really awesome moment And that did get overshadowed Because it wasn't like for Tony could not finish 16th But he finished right behind and raced alongside his friend, Elio Castro Neves. They've been friends pretty much for life. Their journey started together in 1998. Tony Kanan, as the reigning Indy Lights champion, moving up to cart, Elio Castro Neves, then Elio Castro Neves as the runner-up of the series. (laughs) And they've been racing together pretty much ever since. That was really special that they got to share that they laughed they cried together and this also gave tony Kanon the thing that i think he needed all this time to walk out and call it a career because when he originally said he was going to retire in 2020 he didn't account for the world to stop and he didn't count for the indy 500 that year to be held behind closed doors like most races and he wasn't going to go out racing in front of nobody and right. he said that He would never get another reception like that if he were to come back, and he didn't want to spoil it. So I know we were joking about it, but I really think this is a man who's like, I'm at peace. I'm good.
0: I hope so. I I hope he's at peace because, I mean, I can't imagine that, you know, you're, you're 18 months away from turning 50, and you're considering doing this, bonkers fucking oval race one more time but i mean he's already had 22 of them i mean it's 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 already i mean not much more needs to be added from me T- tony canaan has had a legendary career he's he was he, he was nicknamed the iron man for his incredible consistency and durability which is the greatest ability you can have as an athlete in my opinion and you know over a dozen wins, a 500 win of his own. He dedicated to the, the passing of his dad, which was a beautiful moment in its own right. And if you haven't seen his final interview with NBC, I do highly recommend you go out of your way to try and find it. Cause it was, uh, it was beautifully said um, from TK who said that uh, he, he hopes he's made a difference and he hopes he's inspired a few kids to maybe give motorsport a chance. And he just said, I think, I think the ones that hit me, the heads that hit me hardest was a, uh, He hopes he made a difference, and I'd like to think that he has. So, uh, Tony, we salute you, buddy. Uh, A a hell of a run, sir, and a a, a remarkable career, and a beautiful way to close it out. And I I got got to see the clip of him this morning of him and Helio side-by-side together for probably the last time on a racetrack. Um, And yeah, it it wouldn't be Tony about one last 500 loss to Helio finishing just in front of him. Uh, (laughs) That's
1: wild. (laughs) Hey, hey, he finished ahead of Marco, though, so that's a dub. That is a dub. That
0: is definitely... Sorry, Zoe. Um, That is definitely a dub. Um, Not a good
2: day for the second-generation drivers who had been... Who've pretty much spent half their lives trying to win this race?
1: Oh, it's the time to talk about Ray Hall, Letterman, Lanigan.
2: Um, Oh, I want to. I want to just scope in on. I want to scope in on Graham because he took the start two laps late because the car went fire. His battery failed on on this on the way to the formation (laughs) lap. After being asked to fill in as a favor to Stefan Wilson because of Graham Ray Hall's ties. To the Wilson family, because him and Justin were oh so close. Shout
0: out to editor. Shout out to editor Dre Harrison that had to digitally insert himself from the future into that last week's podcast to say, "Oh, by the way, the whole that that whole dramatic thing about Graham Ray Hall being bumped. Yeah, he's kind of back in." Ah, that's how it shakes out sometimes. Um, yeah, I uh, wasn't getting there. Luckily, he did actually make it back to the track on the day uh, after surgery on his vertebrae. So we, we wish Stefan well. Um, well, that was a nasty crash that he had with Catherine Leg in, in in practice. Um, and yeah. speaking of Catherine Leg, she literally drove into the wall in pit lane.
2: Oh. <laughs> that was it's hard. It's, it's hard. Yeah. Driving in the Annapolis, dude. there were like a lot of drivers that had trouble putting the power down coming out of the pits. I think Rossi almost spun it. And of course, Ritus VK did a quarter spin right in the side of Alex Pillow. And you know what's crazy? Alex Pillow stayed on the lead lap after repairs and picked his way through the field and finished in fourth.
0: Alex Pillow is a fucking sorcerer. He's Yu-Gi-Oh's Dark Magician, but he's upgraded. He's now like the Black Magician of Chaos. I I, I do not understand how he keeps doing this.
1: (laughs) I don't, like it was, despite not getting the win, banner day for Chip Ganassi Racing, second, fourth, sixth, and seventh. That's inc- that, that
0: shit. That is incredible. The whole team was in the top seven, but didn't win. That, that makes it even crazier. Oh, like I love that plan C almost came to fruition again for Chip Ganassi. Um, it, it's amazing how these things turn out, but Oof. I mean, yeah, yeah. Alex I, Alex Pullo is a monster. I, I, I say this almost on every podcast that we have at this point, but that man is him. He is nuts. Like, like he is I like, I, I, like, I need to make this point one more time. He has not finished a race lower than 8th this season.
1: Like, deep down, deep down, I think he's going to be McLaren's guy going forward in any car. He's going to be the guy, like Dixon 2.0. Like,
0: which is amazing,
1: King, because
0: it's like, you say Dixon 2.0, we've said a couple times, I've said personally, he reminds me of Frank E.T. in that 10 seat. He's just yeah. so good at Everything, and like he—he's—he's—he's—he's—he's he's, he's, he's got. I mean, <laughs> you say he's going to go to McLaren and be the number one. Look, I—I I probably agree with you there. They could have the two best drivers in this series next year. Oh. That is a terror. Like having Pado in the five and Polo in the six is terrifying to me. It is absolutely disgusting that uh, having that two as having that front two as a combination. All i like, to
1: say is they better not waste it. Don't like, don't be that, that looming threat that never shows up.
0: King, could you imagine a situation where they bring in four cars, they get Marcus Ericsson in a dream scenario and Alex Rossi is your floor as your fourth option.
1: As <laughs> your fourth option.
0: A man who's won a five hundred and has been a title contender multiple times, Alex Rossi would be your
2: fourth option.
1: They they better leave here with something. They
2: <laughs> a man who a man who has literally influenced uh, friend, close friendships and bonds in my life that have brought me here, Alexander Rossi is your third best guy potentially. Hell, on some days, even your fourth. Oh, yeah, man. it
0: is. It is a lot. It, it it is a lot, and uh, yeah, that is, like Alex Pelot like, again, just a f- just just incredible. How, how, what that man's doing right now, it is nuts. He was this close to sweeping the month of May, like completely sweeping the whole thing open. That's a Dixon coming back, Polo coming back. Hell, even Renus VK got into the top ten in the end after a horribly driven race. <laughs> got back. I'm kind of glad that VK finally got a decent 500 under his belt. <laughs>
1: like oh, and he tried hard not to.
0: <laughs> he, he, I don't think he could have done much more besides put it in the wall again. To, like, to, uh, <laughs>
1: yeah, top 10 after a drive-through penalty, very impressive.
2: Yeah. heard yeah. did that too. Colton Horner yeah. finished ninth after a drive-through penalty. Oh. <sighs> Yeah,
0: God, oh, what well, that was a lot, a lot of ill stories. Also, I love that Cam was a bit too ill, and to be fair, he's also celebrating his birthday. Uh happy birthday, Cam! Um, to to directly be here, but he did he did edit our script to a degree, and I love that he says in here, "quote Alex Pillow is still him, and he's a lot more diplomatic than I than I would have been in that post race interview." I'm showing up to Renus VK's house with a pair of pliers and a blowtorch. <laughs> Twitch, I quote: "I'm gonna get medieval on his ass." Um, RNL, I knew you you was ass, but my goodness, you redefined what it means to stink this May. And, and oh, Kyle Kirkwood is really good at this whole driving thing. Yeah, yeah shout out to Kyle Kirkwood. He had a, he was driving a fantastic
2: race until yeah. that crash. Yeah, mm-hmm. overshadowed up until that crash. Kyle Kirkwood was just creeping in there, and creeping in there, and all of a sudden, in the second half of the race, Ah, uh, Andretti is back in the picture.
1: Yeah. And I like Kirkwood's crash, uh the the unsafe release from Colton Herda, which indirectly ended Romain Grosjean's day, like it felt like Andretti had the pace, they just things just didn't fall their way.
2: Between Kyle Kirkwood and and Joseph Newgarden being the standard bearer and Colton Herda, you think, wow, these are these are the generation, these are race winners, proven commodities, um, drivers that can really carry the standard for young American drivers in IndyCar. But if you listen to some people on the, uh, the host broadcaster, you would think that there's only one uh, American driver under the age of 30 who really has the stuff to, uh, to be a competitor. And just now, he only recorded his first top three finish in an IndyCar race.
0: Huh. how about that? Yeah. <laughs> Look, I said it before. The man is a superb talent. Like in terms of ovals, he's done it in two different series. He clearly has a knack for this. I'm not going to deny that, right? But Townsend Bell needs needs to stop. Like, like honestly, I didn't even realize until King mentioned that he's directly his agent. I didn't know that was even the case. Like that, that, that seals the deal for me that this is like, and Jason put it in our chat as well, because it's the exact same deal with how BT Sport has Michael Laverty commentate on Moto3 races, despite the fact he's a team owner in the series itself. Like he owns division track team, has Scott Ogden and Josh Watley in it. Like I, I just, <laughs> I just find it amazing that, Townsend Bell is arguing indisputable facts to defend the fact that his driver, his literal personal interest in Santino Ferrucci is impacting the quality of the broadcast. And like I said... I don't envy James Hinch because Hinch was about to explode next to him. <laughs> Hinch was pissed. You could tell just by listening. <laughs> like, just it's, like I know that's a drive-through penalty, though no, it's not. And I'm like, it is. It just did not
2: turn out to be a drive-through penalty. It turned out to be a monetary fine that didn't even make the notes in the penalty summary of the IndyCar official race results. Yeah, we have mad. all the restar- We have all the restarts at the back of the field. Uh. Harvey for entering into his wrong pit bots, Canapino for a pit speed violation, McLaughlin for emergency service, and then all the drive throughs, VK, Peterson for pit speed, <sighs> Colton her for the unsafe release. But
1: <sighs> yeah, the, the only reason we know it was a fine is that they were told so on the broadcast, the, the commentary team.
2: That may be something to think about in the future. Like, I've already cut my promo on Santino Ferrucci. Earlier in the show, because like like there there's a lot of stuff that's circulating that did happen and there's a lot of circulating stuff that, that didn't happen but the factor a matter of this uh he earned himself a two weekend uh suspension for driving into a teammate that he was him and his father were were on the record as making like horrific racist bullying in the paddock, and ferrucci has been pretty much saying that he's not repentant about it he's not repentant about the way that he drives or you know having a cell phone in his car driving with his teammate on a cool down lap and like i'll say this much i don't feel great that kyle larson's uh freedom from consequences tour is going to culminate with him getting a shot at the 500 but at least larson has shown more contrition for the awful shit that he did than Ferrucci has no I'm I fatified. don't. I don't want. I don't want to discount how awesome it is that AJ Foyt Enterprises had a legitimate chance to win. I don't want to discount what a lot of that team has gone through to get a re- good result like this, and Michael Cannon, as well as an engineer, uh, has proven that he is one of the best. But, oh, god, the dick eating is crazy. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: like. like- that's the problem. Like, yes, we, we, like, if it were any other driver that we were doing this about, we would still be complaining. Like, we, we did the, we pretty much have the same feelings when, when Hinch does with Alexander Rossi. And we don't really have any, like, off the track problems with Alex Rossi.
0: <laughs> no, not really. No, not, 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 not really at all. It's just, it's a conflict of interest in an annoying way. And part of the reason why we're harsh is because outside of that, Hinch is a fantastic commentator and broadcaster. Yeah. He really is. Like, like, and I'm not just saying that because he's my, one of my favourite drivers. I'm saying it because he's genuinely really good at this otherwise. Um, it's, this is a guy who wanted to be a journalist if he didn't be a racing driver himself. He said it on the record. So, like, it is so, like, I, 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 I find it remarkable that in a race where Joseph Newgarden, who let's not forget is American himself, just cemented his legacy as one of IndyCar's greatest modern-day drivers and was, I I still say, years delayed from from getting the superstar push that he should have gotten. Instead, we look at Santino Ferrucci and go, he's the guy, even though (laughs) the series has had a fleet of brilliant American drivers at the front of the field for a good half decade plus in recent times and new names like new garden. Remember when Graham Rahal was a title contender? Yeah. That wasn't that long ago.
1: Like (laughs) it's not the late nineties anymore. It's not the early two thousands. We, we do not have a drought of American talent.
0: No, it's always, it's been here. It's been here for a while now. And, I just don't understand why. Like, I just don't get why Ferrucci is this big ticket guy that you you claim is. Kyle Kirkwood is right
1: there.
2: Mm. David Malukas is right there. I know he didn't have kind of an anonymous race, but he's there too. Yeah. It's like, Mal- Kirk- like, unlike Santino,
1: Kirkwood's won a race this year.
0: Kirkwood has won a race this year, and David Malukas has been far more well-rounded as an IndyCar driver in his career to date than Santino Ferrucci ever has. In any racing series that Santino Ferrucci has ever raced in, because he was a mediocre Formula 2 driver at Trident before he even got to America in the first place. He wasn't winning races in Europe. He was barely in the points.
2: Yeah, and that's the thing. And look, we can litigate whether or not, oh, Trident, we're getting the shit out of the stick in terms of control equipment. We understand that, but like... (sighs) Right. He's, it's just not the kind of guy that you want to stop that hard for. And, you know, I don't want to end the show having another rant about a guy that comes from a state in which I live in now. Because there's a whole other IndyCar season to go. You don't need us to tell you that there's still good stuff to be had. We're probably not the ones that need to be shouldering the low to tell people out there, hey. There's more races after this and they're all going to be good.
1: I mean, if you're listening to this podcast, you probably know there are more races after this.
2: Yeah. 11 we got the, more of them.
1: We've got 11 more to go. And
0: uh, we've got a brand new race in Detroit this weekend.
1: We can have
2: shit in Detroit.
0: It's amazing. <laughs> Hopefully it's fun. That would be Nice um so yeah overall a pretty good 500 i just yeah. wish it was sorted out via slightly cleaner ways That's it was all. a good
2: race but we we tried to engineer a dusty finish and we don't uh, like, I, I don't, we don't agree like that. with that i don't agree with the booking but i'm glad about the winner and that means five stars match of the year
1: candidate. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Uh, Oh, oh, and one more thing. We actually had a good Monaco Grand Prix, too. We really were playing with house money this weekend. Uh, We'll we'll see that episode a little bit later on this week. Um, We're all a little bit busy um, with with our our full-time jobs, but uh, around weekend sort of time, we'll also have an episode with me and Cam talking about the Monaco Grand Prix. And just when you thought Red Bull might lose one of their own backs this year... Nope. (laughs) Not in the slightest. The table is on, baby. And Red Bull are trying to run it. Uh, But we actually had a good Monaco Grand Prix. I'm not even joking. This actually happened. It was wild. But that was the 107th front end of the Indy 500. More to come from Day of Classics where we talk about the Monaco Grand Prix later on this week. You know where to find us on social media. Check out the website, motorsport101.com, to check us to check us out. All our social media on is on there as well. Some extra thoughts from me on the 500 in the blog section if you're that way inclined. Like I said, I've been Dre Harrison. They've been RJ O'Connell. Thanks to Ryan King for coming on and filling in for us as well. Much appreciated as ever. Check him out on Jalopnik. Until next time, sayonara.
2: Thank you to the whole crew at Motorsport Japan for putting on a fantastic live stream of the Fuji Super Tech 24 hours. Thank you to race fans for giving me an opportunity to cover the Indy 500 on their behalf. And Thank you to Davis Sports Car and Racer Magazine for giving me the opportunity to be on site for the centenary 24 hours of Le which is why I will not be here Thursday. Cool shit. Very cool shit. Later, (laughs) y'all!
1: Bye!